people focus on the total size of the population and who's number one and the change between China and India. I think what's more significant, though, than the absolute size is the age structure of the population. Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg. I am a veteran international affairs journalist and the editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. On November 15th, the world population officially surpassed 8 billion people, according to estimates from the United Nations. The milestone was reached just 12 years after the world marked 7 billion people, and it is projected that global population will hit 9 billion people by 2037. So what are the key demographic trends driving population growth? Where is population growing fastest? Where is it declining? And what do the age structures of populations around the world tell us about the future of our planet. On the line to discuss these questions and more is John Wilmoth, head of the Population Division at the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs. We kick off with a brief history of population growth and then have a discussion of the so-called demographic transition, that is, the long process in which populations steadily live longer and have fewer children. We discuss the relationship between wealth, poverty, and population growth, and why the world's population can be expected to begin a decline by the end of the century. This is a great conversation. I find these discussions particularly interesting, and I think you will too. Now here is my conversation with John Wilmoth, head of the Population Division at the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs. So globally, it took about 120 years for the world population to go from 1 billion to 2 billion, from about 1800 to about the 1920s. Now, 100 years later, we're at 8 billion. What accounts for that seemingly very rapid growth over these last 100 years? Well, in general, growth happens because there's an excess of births over deaths in most populations. In some populations, growth occurs because of immigration, but for the world as a whole, we're talking about more births than deaths occurring. 
And the reason that that happened historically was that there was a reduction in the number of deaths. You know, we slowed down time until death. We extended life for many people. We kept children alive, in particular, who used to be very likely to die from infectious diseases, so that you know, a quarter to a third of all babies born would die before they reach adulthood in historical times before the process that we call the demographic transition, which is this process first of reducing the death rate and increasing the average lifespan. And that's typically then followed several decades later by a process of reducing the birth rate, what we call the total fertility rate. It's the number of births on average that a woman has over a lifetime. So this process has been taking place all over the world, this process of demographic transition, the reduction in the level of mortality and then the level of fertility with a lag in between. And during that lag, there's a period of rapid population growth because of an excess of births over deaths, because of the reduction in the death rate. So why growth is happening, and that was your question, the why, it's, it's quite simple. It's because we have been increasing the average human lifespan all around the world, and that's what drives the growth. And what eventually brings down the growth, it brings population back into a more stable situation, is the reduction of the fertility rate. So are we, globally speaking, in a moment of that demographic transition in which lifespans are globally increasing, but also globally fertility is not yet decreasing? We're in that lag period globally. We're in that period of the lag, yes, between the reduction of, of the death rate and the birth rate. But we have seen evidence all around the world that the fertility rate is coming down as well. So we're actually kind of moving into the late stages of this whole process for the world as a whole. And, and we can see, you know, the end is in sight. It's within a few decades that we can imagine that the human population will stop growing. This really started back around 1800 or even before in, in some countries, this reduction of mortality started even as early as the 18th century and then took off during the 19th century and the early 20th century. In Europe and North America, for example, this process was largely complete by the 1930s, including the reduction of fertility. And so populations were moving toward more stable patterns in those parts of the world. But around the middle of the 20th century, this process took off really all around the rest of the world with the reduction of the death rate, and that set off this period of rapid population growth. So yes, in general, the human population is now in an era of rapid growth, an era that is lasting maybe 200 or 300 years in which the human population will increase from less than a billion people to probably more than 10 billion people. And what does the rest of the 21st century show about global demographic trends? What can we expect? You mentioned that we may be coming to that point where population growth may stabilize and potentially even decline by the end of the century. Well, that's true. The growth rate has been coming down. It reached a peak in the 1960s of just over 2% per year. The human population on the global scale was increasing by just over 2% per year. That growth rate has been falling steadily ever since then. And just recently, it fell below 1% per year. And our projections indicate that that growth rate will continue to go down. You can think about the growth rate, and you can also think about the number of people who are added to the population every year. And that number has been strangely constant, almost constant. I mean, not exactly constant, but roughly in the range of around 80 million people per year that we add to the human population. 
And this has been true for about as long as I can remember. That's to say for several decades, we've been adding around 80 million people per year to the human population. So if you go back to 1974, that's the point where we estimate the human population crossed 4 billion people. So in just under a half century, the human population has doubled from 4 to 8 billion people. And each of those additional billion people have been added in roughly 12 years on average. My explanation of this, it comes back to this 80 million per year that we've been adding roughly 80 million per year over this entire time period. So over 12 years, that brings you up to around a billion additional people on the earth. But why has this been constant? Why this constant 80 million people that we add every year? It's not exactly constant, but roughly in that range. And the reason is very simple. The human population has been getting larger and larger, but the growth rate has been coming down over that time period. So you multiply a decreasing death rate times an increasing base population, and it yields more or less the same number of people being added every year. And that's been true for the last 50 years. Now we're to the point where the growth rate has fallen low enough that the number of people added every year will start to go down in the future. And the next billion people will be added more slowly. Instead of being added over about 12 years of time, the next billion will take probably around 15 years. And after that, the next billion will take more than 20 years, according to our projections. So by the end of the century, we'll see populations decline? It's possible that by the end of the century, the human population as a whole will begin to decline. That's true. According to our projections, it will reach a kind of a high point in the 2080s, around 10.4 billion, and it will decrease very slightly from there toward the end of the century. So basically, it hits a plateau, according to our projections, around 10.5 billion toward the end of the century and stays there for a while and then could eventually start decreasing in size. And if we go by the experience of the countries that have gone through this process first, then we should anticipate that there would actually be a decline because many of those populations in Europe and North America that have gone through the process very early now have fertility rates that will not drive growth in the long run. They have fertility rates that are below 2.1 births per woman over a lifetime, and below that level is not sufficient to maintain the, the size of the population over the long run, unless there's immigration to counter the low birth rate. What does your data show about trends in China, you know, long the most populous country on earth, but one in which fertility is seemingly very much on the sharp decline. Yes, that's correct. The fertility rate and, and the birth rate have been relatively low in China for many years. And the government for several decades had a one-child policy, which was rather strictly enforced. And China was in some ways very successful in manipulating uh, its population trend and slowing the growth of the population, which is what it wanted to do for a period of time. But then it was so successful at that that the government began to have concerns about first the rapid aging of the population because of the low birth rate, and then possibility that the population would begin to decline. Our estimates suggest that the population of China has just very recently begun to decline in size. And we expect that this will continue and that between now and 2050, the Chinese population may, may decrease by around 8% in total size between now and 2050. That's significant. It is quite significant. Yes, it is. And you know, there, there's a concern about what that means in terms of 
the place of China in the world. But I think, you know, people focus on the total size of the population and who's number one and the change between China and India. I think what's more significant, though, than the absolute size is the age structure of the population. You know, a growing population is a young population. It's growing because you're adding births. Each year, there are more births than there were in the previous year, kind of a typical pattern of population growth. So you have each birth cohort is larger than the previous one. And so a growing population is a young population. And conversely, a shrinking population is a very old population because you're adding fewer and fewer births every year. So the, the bottom of your pyramid is not being supported with influx of births the way that it was in the past. So I think the concern about the very low birth rate in China and in some other countries, the concern is about the relative size of the generations, the relative size of current population of children, current population of working age people and, and the older population and what the change in the population age structure implies for the sorts of intergenerational relations that exist and, and that are part of every society in terms of supporting those who need support during periods in life when people are not as productive. And you mentioned India. I take it sometime soon, India will surpass China as the most populous country on earth. When will that happen? And what's the age structure of India as compared to that of China? We project that it will happen uh, very soon. In fact, as early as next year, that the Indian population will exceed that of China. There is some uncertainty around this. One of our challenges, of course, is getting the latest data from all the countries. And with the COVID pandemic, some countries did not conduct their censuses as planned. And India was planning to conduct a census in 2021 which it was not able to do. And so we don't have the latest census data for India yet. That's just a cautionary note that we will learn more when we get the latest census results. But based on the information that we have and the projections that we can make using the data that were available, we anticipate that the crossover will be sometime next year. And that India presumably is a younger population yes. than China and is not aging necessarily as quickly as China. What are the implications of that? Well, it's hard to say for sure, but I think in some ways, the more gradual change that India has made, the, the more gradual reduction in the fertility rate that's taken place over a longer period of time, it's produced a less radical change in the population age structure. The Indian population will grow older as well. I mean, all populations that go through this demographic transition, an in inevitable result is the aging of the population. If people are living longer and then they're compensating for that by having smaller families, that stops the growth to have smaller families. But once you start having the smaller families, fewer births coming in every year, then the age structure of the population shifts towards older ages. And India will not escape that. All countries are, are going through that process of gradually towards having an older population. They're either in the process now of growing older or very soon they are starting the drift towards an older population. That's to say, even in sub-Saharan African countries, that we're starting to see the early stages of the upward shift in the age distribution. So India is going through that as well. It's just not as extreme as what China is experiencing. The speed of the change and the degree of population aging by various measures, whether it's the average age of the population or the percent above age 65 or the ratio of those above age 65 to those of the working age, by any of those measures, the Indian population is going through the process, but more slowly than China. And in the coming decades, it will have a population that is relatively younger compared to the Chinese population. 
I wanted to ask you about sub-Saharan Africa. You mentioned earlier that this is the region with the fastest population growth. What's the relationship between poverty and fertility? Well, not a simple one, I'll say that, but definitely there is a connection. And we like to say that the high fertility that causes the rapid growth is both a symptom and a cause of the slow progress in development in certain countries. It's a symptom in the sense that countries that have not made advances along the various dimensions of development that are tracked by the United Nations and the Sustainable Development Goals, countries that have not made as much progress in terms of education, getting kids into school, or gender equality, you know, creating other opportunities for women, or as much progress in healthcare and providing access to healthcare services, including reproductive healthcare services. So the lack of progress in those areas is often then becomes a cause of rapid population growth because, you know, societies where women don't have other opportunities and where education is not as highly valued are populations in which women tend to have five, six children over the course of a lifetime. It's not unusual. So it's in some ways a symptom of slow progress and development, but it's also a cause in the sense that it makes everything a little bit more challenging to have you know, the rapid growth of the population. When you're trying to develop the infrastructure of a country, when you're trying to improve the quality of education for every child, but you're constantly having to invest in building for larger and larger cohorts of children, you know, you'd like to be spending the money on improving the quality of the education for each child, but you're constantly spending money chasing after the numbers because of having more and more children in the schools. So the rapid growth is a drag on development, but at the same time, it is a sign of slow progress in development, especially along the dimensions of gender equality, education, and healthcare. And yet in sub-Saharan Africa, where you have, as you said, you know, fertility rates sometimes of, of five or six children per mother, you are nonetheless, I believe you said earlier, still seeing a decline in fertility overall, right? Correct. I mean, it started very high, but now, you know, maybe like seven children per, per mother. Now, now we're down to like five or six. What accounts for that downward trend? Well, I think all over the world, people have come to realize that education really matters for the well-being of their children and for their own future well-being. If you have children who become well-educated and who get good jobs, that helps you in old age, as long as you maintain a good relationship with those children. So people are highly motivated to educate their children. And to do that, it doesn't take you know, a high-level university degree to understand that having fewer children makes it possible to invest more in each of them individually and to improve the overall quality of, of the upbringing. So there's motivation, I think, around the world because of the increased importance of education. There's also motivation because of more urban living, which means that space is more at a premium. And, and so there are various reasons that people become motivated to have smaller families, and that's happening all over the world. But at the same time, you need a cultural change. People need to find it acceptable to limit their fertility, you know, to intervene in something that some cultures say is really up to God to decide how many children a couple should have. 
But as the cultural change takes place and as people have these motivations to have smaller families, then you just need one third element, which is you need the means of controlling fertility. You need to know how to do it. And you know, most cultures even historically had ways to do this. There are primitive ways, you know, just withdrawal during intercourse is one way that is effective on average. It's not really effective in each individual case. It's not a recommended method of birth control, but it was used by many European populations before we had modern contraception. That was how much of the decline in fertility was achieved by these traditional methods. But today, you know, we have much more effective methods of birth control, very highly effective modern contraceptives that are generally available throughout the world thanks to efforts that have been made to improve their distribution. But still, some people lack access. And still today, some number of women claim that they would like to have no more children or no more children at this time, but they're not using modern methods of contraception. So that's what we would call the unmet need for family planning. That still exists and is still too high in many parts of the world. So we still need an effort to improve access to modern contraception and safe abortion where it's legal throughout the world. Are there any other demographic statistics or trends that you think have particularly unique or insightful explanatory power about global population trends? I think the main concept here is this notion of the demographic transition, which is the shift towards longer lives and smaller families. And this is happening all over the world. Different parts of the world are at various stages of this process, and that leads to a great diversity in the world today. So we have some countries where fertility is low, the birth rate is low, and the population is not growing. It may even be declining. We've got another set of countries that are still growing rapidly because they've made progress in extending lifespan, but they haven't lowered the birth rate as much. And so you've got very young populations that are growing rapidly. So we've got this great demographic diversity today, but the end result is a much older population and a much larger population than what we had before the demographic transition. During the process of transition, we experienced this growth. And so we've been experiencing this growth. And then as it advances, we also experience this process of population aging. So I think it's very significant. We're going to have a much larger population than what we've had in the past and a much older population. And both of those are quite significant. And we need to think about what those mean and find ways of adapting to both. And presumably having an older population means there are fewer people in the workforce, meaning that those in the workforce somehow need to support older people who are you know, unable to you know, support themselves potentially. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean a smaller workforce. Really, the shift is between the children and the older population, you know, in terms of the percent distribution of the population. The, the ones in the middle more or less stay roughly the same. If you pick a fixed age range, say from 20 to 65, you know, that percentage does not change a lot over the course of the demographic transition. But there's a huge shift between those who are under age 20 and those above age 65. So it, it's not that the working age population grows much smaller. It's that it's supporting many more older people and fewer younger people at the same time. So there's some trade-off in that sense between, you know, what's the burden of dependency on the working age population? There are people who are dependent by virtue of being very old or very young, but you have fewer young ones and more older ones. 
However, there's a difference in terms of kind of what's the nature of the consumption that takes place at those different ages. Older people tend to consume a lot more than children, especially in terms of healthcare. And so many of the fiscal challenges that are related to population aging have to do with the amount of money that's being invested in, in healthcare. Much of that happens in the last days of life. And some of those costs are really in countries like the United States and, and European countries that have very generous healthcare systems for the older population, those costs are quite noticeable. The major challenge has to do with the high cost of healthcare and the increasing cost of healthcare at older ages. That's where the fiscal imbalance that people are worried about, that's where it's coming from primarily. Well, that leads me to my last question, which is, you know, how can the kinds of demographic projections that you make and the data you collect about what the world population will look like 15, 20, 100 years from now suggest to you about public policy today? What sort of policies can be put in place to support the population as it will exist in decades to come? I think it's very important that we have universal social protection to ensure that nobody falls below a minimum level of, of existence Old age pensions are common in more developed countries. They're not common in all parts of the world. You know, how the older population will be supported, how older people in Asia and in Africa will be supported financially when there's a need. Because, you know, at some point we all get old enough that it becomes very difficult to work. And so living in a society where there's no safety net for older people is quite challenging. And, you know, people, may be forced to work up until almost the day that they die if they have no other means of support. Of course, there's family support and there's private charity and so forth, but we need an assured social safety net, especially for older people, a minimum level of old age pensions that provides basic income support would be an important policy for many countries to consider. John, thank you so much for your time. This was absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Global Dispatches. Our show is produced by me, Mark Leon Goldberg, and edited and mixed by Levi Sharp. If you have questions or comments, please email us using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Before you go, do take a moment to show your support for the show by becoming a premium subscriber. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can do so with a couple taps of your thumb. If you're listening elsewhere, you can go to patreon.com slash global dispatches. We rely on support from listeners to continue to do what we do far into the future. And by becoming a premium subscriber, you will unlock access to our entire archive of hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Please rate or review the show on Apple Podcasts.